The following episode of Afternoon Delight is dedicated to the memory of Katie Jefferson. Katie Jefferson sadly lost her life in September 2020 after living with cystic fibrosis for 24 years. Katie is forever in our hearts and I dedicate this episode to her and everything she taught me. I hope you're all staying safe and well during these unpredicted times um, in regards to the US election. Wow, I'm very much on on the um, edge of my seat currently recording this for all of you. Yeah, what an odd week it's been for everyone especially. I hope if anyone is in a second lockdown, they are staying safe and well and looking after their mental health especially. This week's Afternoon Delight is such an interesting um, special, so I didn't want to give too much away, but this week we are doing a Cystic Fibrosis Week, because I myself have Cystic Fibrosis, which I mentioned in the first episode to all of you. So Cystic Fibrosis, for those who are listening who have no clue, is a respiratory condition that affects the pancreas and the lungs, uh, clogging up the pancreas and lungs with mucus. It requires daily exercise, physiotherapy, in some cases, antibiotic treatments, either intravenous or an oral tablet form, and a lot of other medications. If you're like me and you need to check your blood sugars regularly because I have CF-related diabetes, or you take osteoporosis tablets because you have osteoporosis, obviously, um, those are kind of things that come with cystic fibrosis as well. A lot of people with cystic fibrosis are on vitamin D supplements because of having low vitamin D. I think everyone could do being on vitamin D, in all honesty. We live in the UK where there's never much sun. Especially if you're in Scotland right now, there's no sun at all. But, um, yeah. So I don't want to give too much away, but basically, um, this week is obviously, as I've said, about cystic fibrosis. And cystic fibrosis has been something that I have created a lot of my work about. Many shows that I've mentioned in the podcast previously such as Wasted Youth, the documentary I did with BBC called Jory's Six Five Reasons to Live and The Honeymoon Period, all had discussions of cystic fibrosis. In Wasted Youth, I talked about infertility and CF, especially in CF men. In The Honeymoon Period, I wrote a play that was based on a young woman's experiences of lung transplant assessment with my friend Katie Jefferson, who is sadly no longer with us. And I also did the documentary with BBC that was all about my life living with CF and a hundred other things that I did. So that's been my experiences. You'll hear more about me in sort of the podcast episode, but my kind of backstory is that I got diagnosed at two years old um, in an unfortunate and really kind of negative context um, that thankfully doesn't seem to happen nowadays because things have changed in terms of testing for cystic fibrosis. Um, my guest who's on this week is someone who I've been following for quite a while. I was lucky enough to get put on the Caftrio Trocafta triple therapy drug um, back in February. And one person that I followed online was the beautiful and gorgeous artist that is Raylene Goody. Raylene was on the news and also um, on Twitter regularly talking about their experiences of Caftrio. 
and I immediately followed them because I was myself going on Capsule and wanted to get a rough idea of the sort of things I could look out for. Raylene's experiences have been very similar to mine, but also one thing that you'll notice in the podcast is Raylene and myself have a lot in common as well as cystic fibrosis, and I love that kindred spirit type thing when it comes to these sort of things. One of the things that struck me during the interview was that Raylene discussed their obsession with Disney. Just like myself, you know, when I was growing up, I used to play Sleeping Beauty, um, basically like a drama game. And I would often play every role and everyone had to sit down and watch me play every role and I did them all very differently. And I'm not surprised I am now a drag artist. I'd like to just point out as well, this is the first afternoon delight guest I've got who is living down south and not in Scotland. So this really has excited me to make this connection. Please give a very Scottish welcome to the amazingly talented Raylene Goody. So this week is a very special Afternoon Delight podcast episode. I have got truly an inspiration, not only as an artist, but as a member of the CS community. It is the gorgeous and talented Raylene Goody. Hi. Hello, <laughs> how are you doing? Me. Oh, no, yeah, it's so lovely to have you. And you know what? Like, I'll, I'll give a bit of the backstory about this reason that I contacted you specifically and wanted to share your story. It was when I started Trikafta back in February, in the last week of February, I had been following your journey on Twitter, on your Twitter account of your Trikafta experiences. And I kept watching like videos and like uh, of your documenting it and photos and thinking to myself, I really hope this will be my kind of experience. And we were so, we're so similar, but I wanted that. I really hope that we have sort of similar experiences. And it was so funny because every week I'd go, this is what really was having. <laughs> this is what <laughs> we having. And then obviously during the pandemic, we've just ended up following each other on social media and sharing connections, which has been lovely. And I just thought I'd touched briefly in the first episode on having cystic fibrosis because <clears throat> obviously for me, got CF, you've got CF, a lot of people know about the CF community, but I don't like, as I can imagine you do, I don't like to make my whole life about that, you know what I mean? No, of course. And, uh, but I think right now, with the way the podcast is going, it's good to get one, someone from England, and not just make a Scottish thing, and to get someone from the CF community who's had similar experiences, but also, your journey will be yours, you'll have different experiences too. Yeah, exactly. It's funny how we're all the same, but all different as well. I love that. That to me is just, that's the, the fact, that's the perfect way to describe CF, isn't it? Like, it's always when you're talking to someone else with CF, you go, we're all so similar but different and we just don't need to explain things as much, you know? I don't feel like yeah. me, but when I'm talking to people about CF, I often feel like I have to be like, right, so this is the medical jargon, but this is my experiences, but this isn't everyone's experiences and it's like fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know you're trying to like explain everything. You're just like, okay. Okay, so but it's funny, like with people, I just like there are things that people have told me that I like had no idea, like they experienced with CF, which I don't experience, and I'm like, what's that? Do you know what's <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I've been the same with like experience with CF, like there is, and I think the unfortunate thing with that as well, right, is that you talk to people and you're like, oh, tell me more about that, but then you start to get that health anxiety of oh, am I going to get that? And well, well if, if you know, and, and why haven't I had that? Does that mean I'm not the same? And your mind just plays tricks on you. But yeah, it's, it is an interesting illness to like, have. Like, it's an interesting... Yeah, it is. 
And it's been the same like the other way around. People have had things that I have and they haven't. Makes sense. I don't think that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does totally make sense. Yeah. Um, so while we're just going for it, then could you just kind of then tell everyone who you are? I like to give everyone the chance to make an artist statement, but just who you are and introduce yourself to my lovely guests. Sure. Yes. So my name is Raining Goody, and um, I live in England, as you said, near Gatwick, so like ten minutes from Gatwick, in a little village. Um, I'm now officially a professional actress which I love to be able to say <laughs> and um, yeah as you said I've got cystic fibrosis and I'm 31. Love that and you don't look a day over 25. <laughs> oh my god I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look a day over 15 so. <laughs> there you go. So baby face because I am 25 so um, just get a little bit of backstory for that statement then so where did you kind of grow up study and work before you ended up pursuing acting? So, I mean, I've always loved acting and singing. It's been in my blood since I was born. I remember when um, we, all the Disney films, I literally have every single Disney princess dress, and then I would act out the whole film. If I had another dress, I'd like, like Beauty and the Beast, for example, is my favorite. Belle is my favorite. And I had both the yellow and the blue dress. So I'd be in the blue dress first with my little basket and a book in it. And then as soon as I had to change, I'd pause it and then go upstairs, change, come down. And I did that with literally every Disney film. Um, so I've always loved it. Um, yep, yeah, I've always been <clears throat> 10 minutes from Gatwick. Um, and we like moved literally like a few miles away from where we were before when I was nine and then I had to move like schools and everything which was fine um and then I've forgotten the question already <laughs> what about um, studying like you know did you go to university or to college and stuff no I never went to uni I did like the obviously normal school in sixth form I did performing arts in sixth form um and I decided not to go to uni because I thought you need to know exactly what you want to do to go to uni. And I, at that time, I didn't really. And even though I love my acting and singing, I didn't think about going into it professionally. And I thought, well, I don't want to spend all this money just to say I've got a degree. I just didn't see the point. So I went into working at Gatwick, which I actually loved working. And I wanted to go traveling, but then I was like, oh, I love working. So I'm going to carry on working and then you get kind of stuck in a rut and I've been like there, I'm still there. Now I'm in um, doing admin for a special assistance and our hidden disability lanyard. Um, but I'm there now part-time. So if I have auditions, I can do that in the morning and then yeah. do my actual work in the afternoon until hopefully a massive big break comes and I can do it full time. <laughs> you know, it's so funny you say this because um, I think for me, right, I've got a friend who lives in Southampton who um, moved there when she was 16 because her mum sadly passed away and her dad's English and lives down there. So she moved there and one thing, I, and I will be honest, a lot of Scottish people do sometimes take for granted is that in England you have to pay for university. So yeah. when she was going to university, she was really stressed and I obviously being only like 17, I was like, why are you so stressed? Like, don't stress that you're a uni, live your life. But she was like, well, I don't think you understand like Jordan that if, I go to uni, I have to pay for this. And I can't decide after fears, oh, well, maybe I didn't want to do that. Like, you know, it's a harder challenge for that. And I was like, oh, shit, you have to pay? Because I just didn't know. And I know that a lot of younger people listening might go, 
Oh, right, yeah, because I was dating a guy that went to England who had to actually pay for his. Um, he went to U- UCLAD to do an art uh, acting degree. And he um, had said to me he had to pay for it. And I was just like, all right, okay. And I get what you mean that I had a guest on the podcast a couple weeks ago who'd said to me that, you know, when she was studying, she went to college and just did what similar to what you've done, but in her last year did a, um, an acting course. And usually with that, you can either go to uni and do a direct entry or you kind of just, a lot of them tend to just go to drama school or they end up just working mm. like you. And yeah. she had said to me, you know, she just wasn't sure. And there was an enormous pressure and she even feels it now. And so do I, that I think you get to 18, 16 early, but 18 and everyone expects you to know what you want to do with your life. And I'm at 25, like, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so no, I totally understand what you mean. And it's interesting for you to kind of talk about um, working because I'm a workaholic. Like I've always been a, uh, had a meeting earlier this morning with someone and they were saying, you know, they did a course at uni and they enjoyed it, but they felt very much like the course was kind of saying to them, you need to do it all this way, but they were already working professionally and they kind of went, well, my work don't make me do this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, I've always had a job since I was like 14, 15. Wow, really? So um, I was like a waitress before doing like Saturdays and whatever. Because the old idea was going to work was because I wanted to go travelling, so I wanted to get some money. But then I decided I liked working and I didn't go travelling until I was 26, 27. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I decided, actually, I'm bored, I'm stuck in a rut, I need to do something. And then I was like, right, I'm going travelling. I like that. And do you know what's so funny? Because you you touched briefly the next question, which is perfect timing, that what was your life growing up with CF is usually, well, isn't usually, but it's the next question. But what I would kind of um, say to you is a question for me personally, just that I'd like to ask. What was it like getting a job at 14 with CF? Because when I wanted to get a job, my mum was quite like, oh no, you've got CF and Molly coddled me quite badly. But when I got my first job, it was like yours. It was a weekend job when I was 17 at Build-A-Bear. I used to sell bears in a Build-A-Bear factory. And um, oh. what was it like, you know, having um, CF but working growing up? I think a lot of people would like to know that. For me, I, it was pretty normal. Like my, my parents made a decision when they were young, when I was born even. They said I either have to, for me, they're either going to have to keep me bonded up and comfortable and yeah. not let me do anything or let me live my life. And they decided they'll let me live my life and then whatever happens, happens and they'll come up at the time. Mm-hmm. Properly, you know what I mean? Um, so, and I was always really quite healthy until about 16, because I then got severe depression oh. at that age. Um, so I was okay. And so going into work, I was fine. It was, I think it was pretty normal. I felt like everyone else. I didn't like feel like I was out of the loop or anything yeah. for me. It was just, you do your treatment, you do what you need to do to stay healthy and carry on you go to school you go to work I mean I used to have when I did have IVs I was very lucky I had my first IVs when I was three weeks old and then like my next IVs was when I was like 15 16 I had a massive gap IVs but even then because I felt so good I went to school with my IV and would do my treatment there whereas yeah That's amazing. Well done, you. Oh, uh, I know. Well, now, like, or well, as I got older, there was just no way in hell 
I would be able to do that. When I have a chest infection, I am off. I can't do anything. I literally don't do anything and just do my treatment and rest. So, yeah, for me, it was fine. But obviously, as I've got older, it's um, got a lot harder, definitely. Yeah, I think that's the thing for antibiotics, right? Because I don't know if you've been like me, but I've, I've had a lot of the cocktails. I've had all of them, right? Um, oh. Under the sun, when there was new ones, they'd be, let's try this out on you. And I'd be like, do we have to? Like, I'm used to this one, just make it this one. But they would give me them. And sometimes the side effects are actually worse than when you're feeling ill. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. We so, did that with um, meropenem. They wanted oh. me to try and I'm allergic to it. But they didn't believe me. I literally passed out i was couldn't even talk i couldn't get up i couldn't do my treatment because i was that ill i would literally be like yeah you'd be out of it yeah and i had horrible night sweats literally the bed was soaking that was me on it put me on on um sailing to keep me hydrated but the oh (laughs) I remember it was a, like a junior doctor and he was just like, but I was like, oh, this, I've got to be allergic to it. This isn't right. And he's like, oh, but no one's allergic to it. And I was like, really? Seven billion people in the world and not one person's allergic to it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what? You might second try of it. And my, like, my um, doctor then was just like, look, we'll try it for a couple of days, see what happens or like a week. And if you have the same effects, we'll stop it. And the same thing happened. And I was like... Thank you. Finally, listening to me. I'm like, I'm not stupid. I know my body. Thank you. That sentence right there. I'm not stupid. I know my body. I can heavily relate. My close friends are going to go, that is literally Jordy, like, talking. Like, but that <laughs> is when I talk to real CF, though. Like, you know, I get that, obviously, a lot of things are just trial and error. But I remember, like, Medipenum especially. It was, like, it was so weird because Medipenum, I'd feel sick. I'd get night sweats. I would be so out of it for the first couple of days on it. I'd be like, no one could talk to me. No one could phone me. I'd be like, I need to sleep for two days, essentially. And then it's so funny because keftazidine, which I used to be on all the time, was like, the poor opposite. It was like, I didn't sleep. I had bursts of energy, but it felt very fake, very like, almost like a placebo. And I would not eat. I just wouldn't want to eat on it. And I would get quite um, anxiety, a lot of anxiety on it. And it's just weird because both do the same job, essentially, for certain things, but total different effects do you know what I mean yeah and yeah when I was on Keftazdeem I would remember a lot of friends were like you must be better because you're instantly feeling better and I'm like it's a placebo I'll come off this and I'll go back to normal and they'd be like really I'm like yes <laughs> um, yeah I mean even after IVs I need uh because like well before trikafta my I got to a point where my lung function didn't improve or it, it wouldn't even get up to my baseline so I'd have two weeks of IVs and then I'd literally have to sleep after my IVs because you don't get sleep either. You're up all the time. And it's like, especially if you're in hospital, it's so noisy. <laughs> and yep. Like, I can't rest. I can't sleep. So then when I say to my work, I've had my two weeks of IVs, but I need a couple of days at home so I can just literally recover yep. and sleep and get some, get, get like my 12 hours that I need. <laughs> I totally understand. And you know what? Obviously, some of the IV medications are every eight hours. So it's like, how do you manage? Like, when I moved out and started living on my own, I had to kind of get my head around. I need to do my IVs every sort of eight hours, and my mum can't do them for me. And I have to get up and sort of half an hour before it's due to make sure I make them up because they're not quick. You can't make them up in two minutes. Like, no. And it's just not so. 
obviously growing up with CF, you know, when were you diagnosed? Because you said three weeks in to like being alive uh, yeah. that you had IVs, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so I think so. I had the partial blockage in my intestines, and um, really, right? Okay. Yeah, the nurse or the the um, midwife thought I was just being a fussy baby and a lazy baby and just didn't want to eat when I was, I was eating loads and then, but I would literally projectile vomit everywhere. And my mum had to literally, um, mop it up with nappies. There was that much. And she ended up going to our GP at the time and was just like, if this is just a little spit up, then I'm like going crazy. Cause it was so many bags and stuff. Yeah. And thought my mum was just being a worried first time mum. Um, and she knew something wasn't right. So I was, I think my mum said I was actually officially diagnosed at three months. Mm. I thought it was three weeks, but I think it's three months. Mm. And so we had to go to the hospital um, and they said we need to do an exploratory surgery because I don't know what's wrong. And the doctor basically said to my mum and dad, if you believe in God, go and pray now. Um, I think he said it in a nicer way than that, but my mum was just like, okay, we're going to church. (laughs) Not like we're very religious at all, but (laughs) that's what they... Um, yeah, and they found out I had a partial blockage, um, and removed that, and then they decided to do the sweat test, just to right. make, to cancel it out, and then they said I had CF, so I was in an incubator for about a month in hospital, and then I think it was maybe a couple of weeks after coming out of hospital, I got a chest infection, mm-hmm. and had to do IVs, so we kept going into the hospital to do that, but there were people always ill and then the, I had to wait and it was in winter so it was freezing cold or raining or something and my dad literally flipped at the doctor and he said you told her you told us that we need this IV at this specific time it's been like two hours and we haven't had it she's like give me the stuff I'm gonna do it at home and he was like okay but you have to learn it all and you need to write a letter and they were the first people I believe in West Sussex to do IVs at home Wow, right. So, yeah, and then every time I have IVs, I make sure I have them at home. I am not staying in hospital. <laughs> so that's, that's the same as me, like, obviously. And we'll get more onto the Trikafta chat later about IVs and stuff. But up until the lead-up for Trikafta, I was my... It got to the point that I was very ill. Transplant mm. was looking like it was going to happen at some point. And my mum was ended up... My mum would have blessed her, would come in the morning at half six before she'd go to work, do them from the morning, because I was just so poorly, I couldn't get up. But I would do the afternoon, evening ones for her. And by that point, I had more strength. I could get up and about and do things. And I also had a flatmate who'd help me make them up, which was great, and she'd been trained. I would do that. And it's so funny because um, your experience, again, it's, this might be some cosmic spiritual shit, but your experience is so similar to mine that my mum took na- used nappies to the GP saying Jordan has got this amount of crap coming at them in terms of like feces and spew and every time I feed them this is what's happening and the doctor said to her I'm going to write you up for a prescription on Prozac because you're not feeding the child properly and my mum was flipping her shit and for two years that happened and it was, oh it was really dang. I got a late diagnosis because I spoke to a lot of people from CF who it was sort of every sort of last first six months, really, they'd got diagnosed. 
And, and my mum just constantly, we had a really unfortunate GP that died with my mum's postnatal. My mum would take me to A&E, they'd go, it's a virus, it's, 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 it's whooping cough, all this, but it would never be CF. And basically, my mum, it was really funny, and I won't go into too much detail with this, but my mum ended up, because it was nearly two years, doctors mm. sat my mum and dad down and said, you know, if, if this hadn't, it was a doctor on call at the GP who saw me that day and went, no, something's not right. And I think this, I've just worked in the CF unit and the sick kids. I think it might be this, we'll get them a test done. Yep. And they got the test done and found out that I had CF and the doctor at the sick kids had said to my mum, you know, I think if this had went in our six months, they might have not been here. And I'm glad this has happened. And my mum was like, fucking hell. And my dad was like, my dad and mum lost it. But it was years years later, my mum ended ended up having a court case and actually ended up suing because of it. And she luckily got a, um, a deal out of it. And it was because it was malpractice it was shocking but um yeah it was just weird because that thing with gps that sometimes they just they'll say that and it's like there must be something going wrong it's like why would a parent take in all the nappies of stuff and say here you go like unless there was a genuine concern and i hate parents can get labeled like neurotic for that but i talked to a lot of people cf that have had experiences like this Yes, the the midwife just thought my mum was being worried worried first time and i was being a lazy baby that I wasn't eating. And my mum's like, she is eating a lot, but she's throwing it basically all of it up. And, but the thing is, cause I was still going to the toilet, but obviously it was like, not a proper poop. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, what you have, you don't have your Creon. Yeah. You know, sexy stuff. And, <laughs> you know. Totally. It's like, my mum was like, no, but my mum is just like, oh, when mama bear comes out, oh, you do not want to mess with her. I love no, that. So what was it like just grow? I know obviously this is a bit of a, I think for you listening to you talk, like, you know, I think for you, it's lovely actually that I'm very like this, that a lot of people say, what was it like growing up with CF? And I kind of go, well, it was quite normal because I didn't really experience anything different from a young age. I was doing treatments. So that was the norm for me. You know, I didn't experience not taking treatments and not doing things. And, you know, I had to always have physio in the morning for school. I would do physio in at lunch at school one of the learning assistants would do physio with me that was trained in disability you know that was just part of the package essentially what was it like though just so listeners can get another perspective on it what was it like growing up and doing treatments you know did you have to maybe miss some social situations that were a bit tough or did you find it quite grueling or anything um the thing is like obviously my mum did it for me until I became a teenager Mm -hmm. and where that's when I got severe depression, so 15, 16. And I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it's because of my CF, but I didn't feel like I had any control. So I didn't have any control over my body. Uh, every, my mum and my friends were all like, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you're not leaving until this, do this, you're not leaving until you're eating, all of this stuff. And the only thing I felt I had control over was my CF. So I stopped doing my treatments. I didn't do them. The only thing I took were my Creon because I hated having my stomach hurting that much when I didn't have my Creon. Um, So, and that went on for a couple of years. And because I felt so well as well, there would be times where um, I didn't do my treatment for weeks and weeks. And I was well, like, well, I can breathe. So there was obviously nothing wrong with me. But then I got to a point where I wouldn't, my breathing got worse. So I do like my treatment once 
And then I'd feel fine again for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I was just yeah. like, well, clearly I don't need it that much and it's not really a big deal. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I had no control. I felt completely numb. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't cry at all. When I thought of depression back then, I thought, oh, well, there's people just crying their eyes out all the time where I literally couldn't cry. It didn't matter what I did, I would cut myself because I felt numb as well. I wanted yeah. to see blood to see that I was like human. If that makes sense. I get like you. Mm-hmm. And to cry, but it just wouldn't happen. Um, I think there's a thing with crying as well for me, right? That Because I've had the similar experiences with, with, with as you with this, um, that crying often feels like a sign of weakness for some reason. And when you're like yeah. wanting to control everything, you don't want to cry because then you're not in control of your emotions. <laughs> and that, yeah, um, I don't like, yeah, I don't like people seeing me cry. And I'm trying with like these acting courses acting to get to the point where actually it's fine so if I feel like I need to cry now I'm trying to literally like cry my eyes out and let it out and have a bit more that's having more control always letting it out and being okay with it totally and then not um so anyway back to the question um (laughs) so then I got so I didn't really feel I suppose more like I was out of social things because I decided I wasn't going to do it. I was going to do what I want. And I went off and I saw my friends and I did think, I mean, me and my mum had a really horrible talk. I mean, I admit I was absolutely horrible to her. I really was. But I couldn't help it. I really just couldn't help it because of <coughs> stuff. Um, so, yeah, we had a really hard time. And, um, well, you could just, yeah. <laughs> you came out the other um, end. You've came at the other end, though, and you're telling the story now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And- so like, now, when I'm doing... I make sure I do my treat. I mean, I only do my treatment once a day because I still have really hard time with it. Yeah. I just have a hard time doing, um, doing it twice. Yeah. And there is even... I get... Also, I went to the psychologist because I got to a point where every time I did it twice, I would get, like, panic attacks. So I'd feel like mm-hmm. my body... Because my lungs were so clear, my body and I could breathe that my body didn't know how to deal with that. Oh right, okay, that's interesting. So now doing a second treatment puts me off because I don't want to have that feeling. Yeah. <coughs> so I totally. Least... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go on. I was going to say I like totally um, really understand what you mean with that because um, the thing with me, I had a really. Um, bad episode when I was 17 unfortunately and a lot of people know this listening would know that I, I was experienced I experienced sexual assault and it was really horrible and mm. that became my control part that I then didn't do any of my treatments because it was the only mm. thing I couldn't control that I could control sorry um so I went right I'll not do these and I'll go out and party all the time with my friends and live my life and fuck the CF and fuck everyone else and this happened to me so and that became mine and it was like in a way like mental health obviously do you know what I mean and it was when I had a lung collapse and when I was, oh God, would I have been 18 and a half, I had a lung collapse that had been brought on by like really bad infections that I'd go in and I was always getting IV antibiotics. I never got orals, but I would mm. go in and they'd be like, 
we'll just give you orals if you want another. Yeah, easy, quick fix, bye. Walk out, wouldn't even question it. My mum would be like, my mum then, this is so bad, which me and her talk about this now, because I gave her a fucking horrible time too, that, mm. we, you know, I'd come in and go, oh, they put me on this, and she'd be like, why, they don't work for you, they don't, they don't treat you, and I was like, oh, they said it would, but, like, they were just saying, do you want these, and I was like, yeah, it, like, I was yeah. bat, batting between two swords, really, do you know what I mean, and it was the long claps that really, for me, was a, oh, you know what, no, I need to get this maybe under control now, but yeah. I get that feeling of control there, and it's so common to see if that you can't fucking control illness. So when you can, you end up having maybe really good spells. Like now I've got a good spell and you've got a good spell, but there have been times that in the past, you know, I, I just didn't do it and I should have, but, yeah, you know, there is no point dwelling. Like I said, it's like a life lesson. Do you know what I mean? You've came at the end, so have I. But, yeah, I mean, it probably is, like, one of the reasons why I got to the point I got to. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, also, like you said, with CF, you can do as much as you want and do do everything but sometimes you know you still get chest infections and you still decline and yeah you know it's just um so i find it more hard it's harder now with social situations because like for example like my um my best friend got married last year and we had the hen party and i had to do like my treatment in the morning so we went away sorry for a weekend Uh And I had to do my treatment in the morning. So there's everyone all together having breakfast and just chatting and laughing. And I can hear that. And I'm just like, oh, I'm in here doing my treatment. And I feel like, like why is no one coming in to if I'm okay? And <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, you feel so isolated in that respect when you want to be out there with everyone else. and just Doing everyday things, yeah. Fun. Yeah, totally. but you still need I need to do my treatment, otherwise I wasn't going to function during the day. So. Exactly, then you'd miss out more. It's that, like, that thing. Um, so what was, if you don't mind sharing, I know these are quite personal experiences, and I really um, thank you so much for sharing them because people sometimes need to hear these things. Um, what was your life like before you started the Tricasta drug, if you don't mind sharing, on an average kind of day? And what was your life like? Probably mm-hmm. hell, really. Hell, really. Um, yeah, I mean, well, when I got to, like, my 20s, I then got mycobacterium. Oh, and uh, I found that really hard to do. Like, the drugs were really hard. And I got to a point where... See, the thing is, when um, when I set my mind to something, I know I, I can do anything. I'm so determined. Right. But I wasn't at that stage because the, the drugs were so hard. I was like, you know what, I can't do this. And I just left it and then it wasn't until like <clears throat> a few years later I think I was probably about your like your age 25 mm-hmm. and I was just saying to them I was like look I can't do this anymore I just cannot handle this anymore and they were like well we have you have to do this treatment and so I always had to have IV antibiotics it wasn't oh we can give you orals and you'll be fine if you have a chest infection yeah um, and it took a while though to get to to find a treatment that was right for me because then I had like a nebulizer and my casein, but I just couldn't take it. I was allergic to it. I just kept coughing, coughing. It wasn't going in. So in the end, I ended up luckily having four aura antibiotics and that was my treatment for it. But it was so hard. Like the first six months, I remember my doctor saying, you're reacting like someone who's going through chemo. And I was just like, great, haven't got cancer, but I have the treatment. And it's just, that was really hard. I felt absolutely awful. 
but I was like, I've got to do this because they were like, if you don't get rid of this and you need a transplant at some point, you can't have a transplant. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, shit. I was like, okay, I've got to really do this. And it took a good, good couple of years, but I got rid of it. And I was just like, so thankful I got rid of it. Um, but then it was funny, then these, that's why I went traveling when I was like 26, 27, because I was like, my lung functions, low. I was like 30 or below most of the time, 28 below. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to get another chance. This is literally my last chance to do this. So I went my traveling and I absolutely loved it. I'm so glad I did it. But I lost, I got a chest infection. I was in Australia. I lost two stone, two and a half stone. I came back six stone. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, look, I was really ill. It was horrible. It looked disgusting. Um, and then it's trying to put the weight on and that took forever as well. I mean, Tricafta should have come then really because I needed the weight big time. Now I don't have the weight. Um, I, feel you. I feel you, by the way. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so I was luckily I got rid of all of that. And then I was, I could feel myself getting worse. And I was just like, literally two years ago, I did a acting course and I said to myself, I need to do this. I need to pursue this. Cause if I don't, I'm going to regret this. And I, it's, I keep coming back to it all the time and I love it. So just do it. Good for you. And then last year was probably one of the worst years I've ever had. Just like, I found out. Um, yeah, that I needed to have a trans- lung transplant. Uh, and I was told I should have been oxygen been on oxygen a very long time ago. Um, and I don't, they don't know why I'm not on it, but I need to be on oxygen. Um, my lung function was 28%. And <clears throat> it was just hard to get around and do anything. And But all of that was just a completely massive, like, slap in the face to me and my parents. We thought, it, even though it was hard, I still thought I was too healthy and I still had a couple of years before I needed a transplant. Um, but that obviously wasn't the case. And they're like, no, this... And because I've got really high antibodies, they're up, they're about 72%. And at one point, they went up to 82%. So say if there was like 100 lungs, I could only have like 20 of them. Right. I- so they said I would have it's going to take, it'd be really hard for me to get lungs because I'm also the most common blood type and the most common height. Um, <clears throat> so they said it could take up to four years to get some lungs. And then by December, my like lung function had declined even more. I was like declined to 23%. And then that was, it was just like, Jesus, yeah. I wasn't living. I was just like existing and Mm -hmm. it was so hard just to get by and just just to walk or just to get up the stairs you get up the stairs and I'd have like a half an hour coughing fit and um sleeping like like you couldn't sleep because you were coughing and then when you did get up you were again having like a half an hour coughing fit and I was like I want to steal these things but I couldn't and also my mental health was so bad I was such in a bad mood the whole time I was like, literally everyone annoyed me. It didn't matter what what you said, you Mm -hmm. just like literally pissed me off. And um, I like would remember saying to myself, I was like, oh, Raylene, you need to get get yourself out of this. You can't keep being like this. But it didn't matter what I did. I think it's because I felt so ill and my lung function was so low. Mm -hmm. It was just, that was just, 
how I was feeling all the time and I couldn't budget no matter what, no matter what I did. <clears throat> it's so, but then as soon as the after came along and my lung functions got better, that's just completely gone. It's nuts. So it Do you know what? It's so funny. Totally. It's so funny because, like, obviously, I'll give you a bit of backstory about my experience that, again, very similar to yours. I feel like this cosmic thing's obviously happening. Um, so right. I... I love that though. I'm very spiritual that way with like things like this. So I uh, was doing a lot. Like I was at uni and I was working like freelance and I was in this like industry and I was also a DJ and all these things. But it was like I would spend four weeks of the month really well mm-hmm. jumping from post to post. And then something would happen and I'd crash and I'd be on IVs for two weeks in hospital and it was honestly it became a bit like a rehab feeling that I felt like all I was doing was going out and about but I felt like I was literally like going to rehab getting IVs going back out back living my life but it became such a a horrible experience for me that I started not taking in what I was actually doing I started just living to exist just doing all these things but not actually enjoying them felt like I was living this artificial fake life I then got told uh, I got a really bad case of flu December 2017 and they were like, you're going to need transplant because if this happens again, you might die. Because I was really ill. It was like my lungs were like bricks. They weren't moving when I was breathing. And I was like, this is horrible. And my anxiety was going through because I was like, why are my lungs not moving when I breathe? And they were like, yeah. you've got really bad flu. They're just, it'll just be how the mucks on them creating concrete feel. And I went, nah, I've never had this before, though. This is weird. So yeah. they were like, we're going to get you referred to transplant early just because if this happens again and you've not had any assessments, any, um, you know, approval done by the team, because I went to Freeman's in Newcastle, they were like, you won't be able to get this. You'll, it'll be too late. And I went, right, okay. So extensively for six months, went through meeting them, satellite clinics, going, again, I was very much, because I've had a lot happen outside of having CF mentally, I was like, I don't want this. And hmm. it felt like I was getting told, you need to get this. And I went, okay, I'll get it, but I don't want it. And I felt like a brat, but I was going you know, and then... It's so funny you said that, though, because when I had the mycorrhizae and I was told I wasn't ha- allowed to have a lung transplant, I was like, well, that's not fair. I'm supposed to, I should be allowed to have a chance. Why can't I have a chance? As soon as I was told I need to have a lung transplant, I was like, but I don't want one. <laughs> I don't want to... That's it. Yeah, I, uh, I, it took a couple of months to sink in. I found out in June and I didn't go on to the lung transplant list until I was uh, until October and they're like you need to decide because you know we, you, you've you got to hurry up basically and I was just like but I don't but I, but I don't want someone else's lungs I want my lungs <laughs> yeah and you also just want to be like living a life like everyone else like no one yeah. at 25 31 wants to think about getting new lungs and anti-rejection drugs because a lot of you all don't know this but obviously when you're going to like these transplant centers you're told about rejection drugs things you can't eat anymore you can't it's like this covid pandemic you can't see anyone for at least sort of six yeah. months to a year you know what i mean after it's so extensive and hard hitting and you've got to digest all that and then go for the test and then get listed and then yeah. get it and what you said you know how you said probably four years wait i was told it would be free for me because the same mm. as you same the blood type being average the height and weight and i was told i would get probably have to wait at least three years for it and that was yeah. why they were trying to get me on it early because the ironic thing they say is you need to be well enough to get it, but ill enough yeah, to get exactly. it. It's and that's what they said to me. They said, you know, you're well enough. You've got a good weight. 
and all of this, it's the time is now to, to do it. And um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a lot. You get so much information that it's so much to process. I remember seeing this booklet and I was like, I've got to read this whole booklet. Like this whole, well, not even booklet, this whole book. Yeah. And like, I remember when there is saying like, you can't have a rare steak. And that literally, that broke my heart because I love rare steak. And I was like, <laughs> that's the only way to have a steak. Yeah. I was like, I can't have it well done or medium rare. It's just wrong. And I remember they were also like, this. to me, it's something like you can't have grapefruit and you can't go to a banquet. So, you know, like a Bayesian banquet or um, you go to like, it's, they've got loads of different food out and you just help yourself. They were like, you can't go to these things because of cross-contamination. And I thought... I didn't oh, know that one. Yeah, they were like, you can't go out <laughs> to these sort of places. Like, uh, oh, there's a name for it um, where I stay. And I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a Bayesian banquet sort of thing. You know, you get all these different foods. And I was like... Like a buffet. Aye, a buffet. Thank you. <laughs> we got there. And I was like, why can't I go to a buffet? Um, and I did this show. It was my last... It was in my head. It was my last show I was going to do because I was like, well, one, I'm not well enough to keep doing this. Two, it's now... Time is now, basically, like you said, to get it done. And it was all about the transplant um, procedure and process. And it was a drag show, but it was all about this girl's life um, with CF and her going for the transplant assessment and her not feeling ready and her and her boyfriend breaking up and it was really interesting and it was great and it was the one I got the award for this year which was amazing and they had um, people had came and saw it and were like it was a whimsical fun show and then at the middle I put on a video that was like 10 minutes long that told you actually what the procedure was like and it didn't show you but it just told you the whole Mm. thing and everyone after it was like oh, yeah, fucker, this was a really fun show, but wait, now? And I went, aye, it's like that. Like, it's all yeah. fun and games until someone greets, like... And, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, the thing with the uh, transplant procedure, when they were talking about it, you know, there are a lot of things I had to break up with someone because they weren't going to be there for me with transplant happening. I had to tell all my jobs, like, I wanted to still DJ, but I was like, I won't be returning after transplant for at least a year. You know, like, these are sort of things that I had to filter into my life. But I also, what you were saying was, I was just existing. I wasn't living. Like, and I know some people could listen with CF or just some people in general go, well, you were doing all these amazing things and you were still going through that. And I'm like, yeah, but I was not enjoying, I was doing it because if I, like, I didn't really have an option. I had to get up and do something because I was so depressed. And I felt like I would lie in bed and I'd be ill. And I could feel, it's so weird, I don't know if you know this, but, I could, when I was that ill, I could feel an infection coming on before it even happened. Oh, yeah. You're like, uh, no. I went, I'm getting a temperature, give it two days, I'm out. And two days later, I would need antibiotics, I'm out, I'm out now. Yeah. And it was, it was such a hard thing. And you know what? Like, I think it puts a lot of perspective into these sort of things where you're going next. And, you know, mm. in terms of the transplant stuff, you know, you do want it, but no one wants to have to get a transplant that young. And, yeah, I, of course yeah. and I remember them saying, it was like so funny because I don't know if you were like this, but I would have to like, you know, say to my friends, oh, I'm so upset we get this. But the moment I'd meet a doctor, I'd have like, yes, I really want this. I feel fully ready for this. <laughs> because there's, it, but you felt like, for me, it felt like I had to sell myself. I felt like yeah, I had to like, yeah. Yeah, sorry. At the beginning, like, I was just like, seeing all the psychologists, I was like, no, I'm not ready for this. Like, I've always been so honest with my doctor that if I haven't done my treatment, I've told them. Yeah. Like, they'll be like, instead of them being like, oh, why is this stuff not working? I'd be like, oh, I haven't done my treatment. And they're yeah. like, why? And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> and they were just like, okay. Um, but yeah, I was the same. I was just like, you know, and, and the fact that you're told that you have to make a will and 
all yep. these things and you're just like a funeral okay. plan yep mm-hmm. yeah exactly and I was just like okay and then obviously like you like break down in tears and all these things and but mm-hmm. I was like I'm just I'm, I'm not ready it took me a long time to process everything and also get more information as I was going along until I was like okay yeah no I, I need to do this and I did and it's funny like you said like you know you broke up with someone and I did that with a best friend because she wasn't being supportive at all she um she just made it about her and uh I remember having this conversation with her saying um I've been told I need to make a will is there anything you want wow that I can give you um so me thinking not thinking of myself thinking of my friends and she was like, oh, I don't really want to think about that. And then the second she just had a daughter and then she was all of a sudden like, oh, actually, that reminds me, I need to do a will for her. And I was just like, wow. Okay. And we had this argument in the car because apparently I upset her and her boyfriend when I was just joking. And if she didn't, well, not even her boyfriend wasn't even that upset about it, but apparently I really upset her, her, upset her and and I was just like, but you know, I'm joking. If like, I had no idea I'd even upset you until someone else told me. And then I was just saying, well, how do you think I felt when I said to you, I need to make a will and you've made it about you? And um, I was like, look, I'm dying. That's why I need a lung transplant. And she just goes, she was like, well, what's wrong with that? I'm allowed, to, I can do that. And she's like, oh, we're all dying. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. As soon as she said that, I was like, get that, get out of my fucking car and our relationship is done. I feel you. And yeah, that's an unfortunate thing. Like, I remember they asked, I don't know if the same at your centre, but they said to me, you know, you need to have at least two people, up to five people are your kind of main support during, after, year after, for emotional and physical support. And me being like, yeah, okay, I know all these people and putting my wee list together in my head. And then, then when six months of that, four of them were not there and not in my life anymore. And I thought, fucking hell, like, where was... And I don't even don't even blame myself because that is where I was at at that point in life that I thought these were people that I could count on. I didn't realise these were people that were using my friendship with me to, you know, sort of make themselves feel better if they came and saw me in hospital and they could put a selfie on Facebook. Or they were people that would come and see me DJ and fill me with alcohol but then the next day wouldn't come see me if I was like ill I mean like these are not unfortunately some people that maybe long term and that is also a thing I talk to a therapist quite a lot about this that I think part and parcel with just growing up is also that friendships start to like fizzle out unfortunately yeah yeah unfortunately I mean I had like there was two people that I thought I could generally really rely on in this time and they were the the closest people to me and, and I couldn't and I was just like that's like 25 years of friendship down the drain I was just like okay and yeah it's really hard to swallow and and process but I mean at the end of the day you're I'm happier without her in my life so I totally empathize with you and I really respect you for sharing that on a lighter and nicer note (laughs) (laughs) Um, because we have to just always you know take the good with the bad sometimes Mm -hmm. and um what are you, so let's talk about it. how have you found the new drug Trikafta and what is your kind of story been with that if you wouldn't mind sharing uh it saved my life basically it gave me my second chance because well bef- you know like I said before I was dying I was so ill um I found everything so difficult to do 
I had to go down to part-time working. Um, and I wasn't me. I wasn't even myself. I was just like a shell of a person. And I didn't want to... I didn't really want to be around people either. I couldn't really do anything a lot. And, like, now I'm living again. I'm, like, we've been able to do so much while this pandemic's been going on. And, um, like, all these things I would never have been able to do before. And I'm learning how learning horse riding now, which there was just no way I would be able to do that beforehand. That just wouldn't have been a chance. I and that, um, yeah. Yeah, and you just like you've seen these people like you know I've known people who were even like worse than me and literally on death's door, and they've like come back to life and they're like living and all these people are getting like massive jumps in lung function. Which to be honest, I would say when I first saw that I was really jealous because I wasn't getting these massive jumps. I didn't get that until literally about seven eight months in, um, which has happened now. Um, but yeah, exactly. I'm like me again, and I'm able to do what I want, and it's great. I love that. So people might not know because um, I was I obviously followed you, like I've mentioned, on your Twitter, on um, your documenting of it and stuff. So what was for me particularly? What were the first few weeks like in terms of what did your chest feel like? What did your mind feel like? What did your whole body feel like um, after starting it? Because I had a very I just thought it was a placebo at first and thought. I'm just imagining this is this because this is what I want it to be. But it was within the first two weeks, I totally felt reborn. I felt like, oh my God, this is not me. This is, my chest just felt like it expanded completely at the top. And yeah. what was your experiences like? For even just maybe the last six months, what have your experiences been yeah. like? Well, like, it's, um, you know, I did some like notes with it as well, which I, I can find for you. Oh, um, I love that. Amazing. Cool. So I definitely within like the first two days felt a difference like yeah. day first two days oh, yeah. um so yeah i started on the 15th of january so i put on here day one took tricaster at 11 10 a.m felt drowsy at about 3 30 in the afternoon in the afternoon and some pain in lower left lung felt bubbling in lower left lung at it's the bubbling oh my god it oh. is the bubbling <laughs> yeah, exactly and i was like oh i was like okay um, day two, I've had some panic, some stomach pain at night after treatment. Lungs felt clearer, feel a bit drowsy, tickling cough at 7.50 in the afternoon and a whole crap came up. Yay! One cup of sputum. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was waiting for. Everyone was saying all these massive purges. And I didn't have a massive purge. It was literally just that on day two where all, all this crap came up. Wow. But that was it. Um, and then every night from day two, uh, I was having like a dry, tickly, irritable cough, which was kept keeping me up all night. And that happened for about a week. Yeah. And then on day 14, I said, did hit training on my treadmill, did six minutes and was able to run for a whole minute. Oh, yes. Three running and three walking, hardly coughed or had much sputum and it was white and my bed is completely flat now. And that hasn't been flat for like god knows how many years 10 years um that is amazing Do you know when i um when i so what happened for me was that i took it in the morning around the same time as you back at 10 and they were like now prepare yourself don't get like anxious but you might feel a wee bubbling sensation and you might start coughing because i was only the third person on my ward to get it so we're kind of basing it on two other people 
Uh, one of them was really um, really ill, and one of them couldn't get transplanted, so that's why they both got it. And I was at that, you're needing transplant, but, you know, you're only, because I was at 26% lung function, so just a bit off you. And they were like, oh, you know, we'll give you this and hopefully it'll work. And that afternoon, it was like, I did that thing when we have CS that I just went, <clears throat> right? I went, oh, you fucker, what is that? And got a pot. I went, oh my God, what? <laughs> off. I didn't cough. I went, what is that? And it was minging, and I won't get too heavy on this, but I went, oh my God, half a tub was filled after that clear. And I went, right. And come the oh. Friday, it was the Monday I started, and come the Friday, I documented. I didn't obviously take grotesque pictures, but I just put the tubs. And it was six. Oh, and I did. <laughs> and I put it all over my Instagram. <laughs> I love that. And six and a half tubs in four days. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's what I wanted. I wanted that. It's a massive purge of all this stuff coming up. But it literally just like one cup on day two. And that was about it, really. <laughs> it's yeah. like so, like, obviously dark and disgusting. And, yeah. And then it went white. And I was like, I can't remember when it was white. Like last that mine's now is white and I'm like I never had because obviously I was because of the two years that I wasn't diagnosed I was really ill growing up as well as a kid mm. and I was causing an IVs from a, a young child and um, mm. and yeah I've, n- I've never had white in my life my mum was like when I'm phoned her I was like I'm coughing up like basically just white um, saliva she was like she started crying on phone she was like I've never known you to experience that and I was yeah. like yeah and obviously because of the pandemic I live on my own so my mum had came to drop food shop off my door and just catch up outside and she said to me oh and I was like what and she's like I was oh well don't think I'm being rude and I went no and she went you've not had IVs for so long I thought maybe Jordan's not very well and they're just saying they're fine but seeing you you look the best you've looked in years and I went I know that's how nuts it is eh, that you, and it is it's great and have you how have you found the last kind of like six months being on it have you just like you've said horse riding and stuff but are you just feeling physically are you feeling mentally better as well as physically better yeah yeah Yeah, definitely like before like I said I was just like so just it was horrible and I I think now it's because my lung function was just so low and I just felt so horrible I just couldn't I suppose see the light at the end of the tunnel and um, now like it's like complete 180 I'm like back how I was I don't like, no one annoys me anymore unless they, you know, they really are trying to annoy me. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just before, because any little thing that my mum or dad would say, I'm just like, it was just great on me. Or anyone, like, friends were just really great on me. And it, they could have just said hi. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And I, <laughs> and I just couldn't help it. And, like, now I'm just, like, normal again. And I'm, like, oh. clear head. I think it's probably the best mental health I've had in years. Yeah. I Definitely. feel that I'm the exact same as you. What are your next question? What are your plans now? Obviously, there's the fucking pandemic happening the moment, yeah. but you know, I don't know if you felt this because I follow a couple of people on Twitter who also did um, the CF uh, trust videos that I was involved with. They've got MCF mm-hmm. as well, and they were sharing their experiences on Twitter, Cafcho, and a lot of them. I was so glad they said this, right? Because I don't know if you felt this way, right? But I did. But at the beginning, when I got take given Cafcho and was like, oh, you know, well, that's Jocasta Cafcho, I was like, um, oh, you know, if I, I'm really well on this, I can never complain because not everyone else is on this yet. So if I complain, people are like, well, I don't get that, so why are you complaining? But the moment that yeah. everyone on the NHS got it, then I was like, hmm, I wonder what everyone's going to think. And there were people that had said, you know, 
they had planned their whole life round potentially needing a transplant by the age of 40 and not being here by 50. And now they're like, they don't know what the fuck they're going to do. And they're a bit overwhelmed, basically. And I think, um, you know, what are your future plans now that there's this exciting new freedom once the pandemic's under control? Yeah. See, I've I've never been like that, really. I was just like, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. I never thought I want to die at 30, so what's the Mm. point kind of thing? But... um, I mean, I still live at home with my parentals because um, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I was just so ill. And also then being part-time, my wage was so rubbish. Yeah. There was just no way I could live on my own. It just mm-hmm. wouldn't happen. So I'm saving for a mortgage. So I'm hoping to get at some point my own my own place. And Lovely. yeah, I'm just focusing on my acting and singing because I want to do that. Lovely. That's all I want to do now. I don't want to do anything else. Oh, so good. just focus on that and um and and hopefully get some more roles and everything my first role professional role was last year and it was about it was December I did it I did the audition in October and didn't hear anything I was like okay guess I didn't get it and um yeah and I got it in in uh, December we started filming and it was only for a couple of days but then I was like I was, again, so ill. I was on my auction. I had 23% lung function. I had to go up to London to do it. And I was just absolutely exhausted because I had to get up about four in the morning. I had to do my treatment and get ready and everything to be there for eight. Mm. And, like, just the journey and everything, oh, it was so hard. And I was hoping to do it all in one day, even though I loved doing it. And I got... And I got... um, I learned a lot from it, really. Um... I had to do go back on the second day and I was just like, I want to sleep. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. But I was like, I was just like so thankful that I got like this this role and was able to do it and hopefully some more things can come of it. So that's that's what I'm focusing on. But with all this like pandemic, we've kind of switched it around into a positive. Whereas before, if I hadn't had Trikafta, it would have been a completely different story. Oh, yeah. uh, I know me and my parents would have argued like anything every day. Uh, I would have just been absolutely depressed. Yeah. Um, but because I've had Trikafta, <laughs> my lung functions improved and my mental health improved and everything. We've literally turned everything into a positive and thought, right, right. And so I've made sure we've cleared the whole house. There were rooms we couldn't even get into. We now, like this room I'm in, we couldn't get into. Um, so we've literally cleared everywhere. We've got rid of like half of the cluster. We've decorated a few rooms. I now have my own little lounge, so I have my own space for a bit. Um, and I've been doing like my um, acting courses and singing lessons, and now I'm doing the horse riding just to keep myself busy because I was more worried about the mental health aspects than Same. anything else. Um, and so this year has turned out to be a good year for us because we've decided to turn it around and again that's because of Trikafta Cafetrio mm. without that it would have been a completely different story but yeah we're on the up and up I think see in terms of that role you did in December and you said you were really ill I just want to say um, that is inspiring that you were doing all that despite how unwell you are I find that really inspiring like and I really needed to hear that today something like that just reminds me I was um down in London in December as well 
I was doing a, I don't know if you saw it, but I did this video for the CF Trust. It was all about my drag career and what, how it kind of kept me going. And it was for the, I think it was for the Text Yellow campaign, actually. And I was down there and was really ill. And the reason I wasn't in drag on the video, because a lot of people were like, you were out of drag and you were talking about your drag. And I went, I was too ill to be in drag. And they were like, really? I went, I was so ill when I went down. I just wanted to go and get done because I'd never worked in London before. So I wanted to go and do it. The CF mm. Trust were so great about it all. And I went, and obviously they used footage of me and drag to overlap on it while I was talking, which was great. But I said to them, I don't really want to be in drag for this. Is this okay? Um, and in a weird way, it kind of looks professional that I was talking about my drag, but not being in drag. But I thought, I want to talk about this just because I'm not well enough to be coming down for this. But I, mm. you know, seize the day, carpe diem, do you know what I mean? I was like, I just want to go and do this at least once. And it reminds me of that. And just, that's honestly amazing that you did that. You're talking about yeah. singing lessons. I do singing lessons as well on Zoom with my singing teacher. It is a fucking, yeah, it is an experience. I find it quite difficult and interesting, but I love it and it keeps me going. Um, and I've been trying to look at this pandemic as sort of a period for me to develop my mm -hmm. drag. And, you know, drag for me, I don't know if you ever watched RuPaul's Drag Race, but drag is very much like, you know... Um, okay, the, yeah, yeah. The box splits and the death drops, and I'm like, I cannot do that. So I can sing, let's do that. I don't know how Totally, and I'm like, well, do you know what, I can sing, so I'll focus on that, I can act, I'll focus on that, I can, I can perform. Do you know I mean, that's who I am. Um, so a couple of things... I saw on Twitter you did the um, Into the Unknown, and I remember replying, like, girl, yes, because... That high note, oh my god, like that is a high uh, note. <laughs> I love um, doing what is um what's your favourite kind of uh, stuff to sing? Probably ballads, like really belty things. I mean, I am a massive fan of Christina Aguilera and everything oh, really? so belty. And um yeah, those those kind of things. I really like to show my voice off and really I just I feel like when I'm belting and things, I'm just really giving the passion and yeah, and if you know I'm what? I'm just like, not doing that, I'm just a bit like, oh, I, <laughs> I love that. And also, I love that for me, like, you know, being able to belt with CF is some hard shit. You know, when my vocal coach like, you're diaphragm, diaphragm, and I'm like, I've got CF, my stomach's in agony all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm guessing it's the diaphragm working. So I remember, like, my friends were like, say, how are you doing that? With, like, that's such a low lung function. I was like, I don't know, just am. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so, I kind of, we've touched a lot on stuff in terms of like your mental health, just because everyone that comes on the, pan uh, the pandemic, everyone that comes on the podcast talks about ways that they've been coping during the pandemic with their mental health. What kind of, um, have you got any tips or advice for people listening that you could share that the last guest talked about how they went to a therapist, before that we've had people that like to have a routine, some people do mindfulness, is there anything that you could share that you've been doing that's kind of helped you? Uh, keeping myself busy I think that's why I've made sure I kept myself busy because when I'm in that and I mean sometimes it's great to have a lazy day and I just like you need to like sometimes I do need a lazy day mm -hmm. but if I'm having a bad mental health and that happens I put on like one of my favorite film or a film that will make you laugh so at least it's something that's happy um but yeah keeping myself busy because there'll be time I found when I'm not doing something Mm -hmm. I do kind of feel a bit down and a bit blur. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it's just sometimes like getting up and like even having a shower just makes me feel like better. It just makes you feel 
Because when you feel all grimy and you're just like, oh, you don't feel right. As soon as you have a shower, you just feel, you're like, oh, that's better. I feel like me again. Totally. So at least if you do something like that, I mean, obviously you need to find that something that's right for you. But I would just, for me, it's keeping busy and like, do, like doing my acting courses. Like I've been doing this acting course online and instead, like they've been saying, use what you have. And if you like, don't throw it away, use it. So if I'm angry, I mean, my, at first time I did it, my parents were scared out their lives, but I'm literally like screaming and punching my bed and just really getting my anger out. But then afterwards, I actually feel so much better. Yeah. Like, because I've like recycled it and used it instead of trying to hide it. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah, I don't know. Get a punch bag if you're angry. That might help <laughs> as well. <laughs> I get, love that. Just use it and get, what, get it out, whatever you're Channel feeling. It, yeah. It's like when you have a massive cry and then you just feel so much better because you let it out. Yeah. I think don't hold it in, let it out. I love that. And do you know what? My first ever guest on this, um, who's another drag artist in Glasgow, said the exact same thing as you. They like to keep busy, have, you mm. know, routine and lists of things to do because it distracts them and keeps them going and it makes them motivated. And I love that. Um, I think particularly because this is a special episode looking at you, but also cystic fibrosis because both of us have it. Um, mm. What would you say to younger people who have CF that might listen to this, or people even around about our age that have CF, what would be your kind of words of wisdom for them going through the pandemic and back into the new world when it's safe to do so? Um, I would say do do what's right for you, really. Um, and if there's something you want to do, do it. I mean, obviously, yeah, this pandemic, we've got to make sure we're safe, so... Mm keep that in mind don't obviously go off and I don't know have like a bundle cuddle with literally everyone and their missus but um <laughs> I think if there's something you want to do don't let anything stop you do it I love that that was simple and great I love that before we finish the podcast where can people find you on social media oh they can find me on Instagram Twitter and Facebook all under uh, Raylene Official Raylene official. Follow me. (laughs) (laughs) And before we finish, um, every week I ask people to bring a quote that reflects how they're feeling, who they are, or even just a quote that parts some words of wisdom for people to make them feel a bit better um, and like you now to share the quote you've brought with you. So it's something my mum always says to me. She says, you are so strong and whatever you set your mind to, you do it and you can do it. And I know you can because I've seen you seen you do that and I don't think that's just with like me I think a lot of that's with people with CF we are so ridiculously stubborn that if there is something we want to do no one on a high earth is going to stop us do it and yeah and I think that's great because like we've only got one life and as we know like some people when they say your life expectancy is 30 or something now I think it's about 40 but you hear that and you're like I've got a lot of stuff I need to cram in and I'm not, I'm not going to waste, waste my time. And I think that's what we do. And I think that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Raylene. And thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been a pleasure oh, to meet you. you. And I look, you forward, I look forward to seeing what you do next. Take care. Thank you. you too. <laughs> Listening back to this really has helped me remember that when it comes to cystic fibrosis, 
Raylene's totally right that we're all very stubborn. We know what we want and we'll do it. I am very like that as a person. Anyone listening will go, that is Jordy to a T. This week I was told that I am going to be fortunate enough to potentially next summer get my gastrostomy tube that's in my stomach removed. And despite the fact that I've had three job rejections this week and there's no money in the arts, it was kind of a bit of a reminder and a reality check for me that my health is the best it's been since I was 17. And I really need to treasure those moments. And talking to Raylene this week especially gave me, I don't know if it gave you, but it gave me a lot of mindfulness to remember that everyone has their story to share. And the point of this podcast is literally that, for local artists to come together and share their real stories. I love that me and Raylene throughout the conversation have said how many things we have in common. One of the things I really liked was my favourite actually was the fact that we both were in London at December. I was very poorly in December and I remember thinking to myself, this is the only opportunity I'm going to have to work in London, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to take lots of cold and flu max, sleep in the afternoons, but I'm going to do this because I might never get the other opportunity to do it. And I think really and me have a similar mind when it comes to that sort of thing. I also asked when we finished the podcast what um, Raylene's star sign was, and she said in Aries, and I said, oh yeah, I totally feel that for you. I'd either predicted a Leo or an Aries because she was very fiery, but I think she exudes that calm, level-headed confidence that Aries usually have. And I also work with a lot of Aries normally, so fingers crossed, should an opportunity arise, really and I can collaborate on something in the future. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this episode. It's nice for me to share my personal story of CF. It's also lovely for an artist like Raylene to share their story, to remind people that when it comes to things like acting, music, art, an artist often has a story behind them as well as their artwork. And this was a reminder that Raylene truly has an exceptional and inspirational story. And I can't thank her enough for joining me this week. Next week, I have two guests. We have Lorna Murray discussing classical music and the future of the classical music industry. This is going to be quite an interesting podcast episode. And I also have a young queer artist talking about events management, producing work and their future endeavours post-COVID. Thank you so much for joining Afternoon Delight. I've had a pleasure interviewing Raylene and sharing this with you. Please do subscribe and join us next week on Wednesday and Friday for your Afternoon Delight sessions. Before you go, I have the pleasure of bringing back Raylene Goody with their single, Controlling Me. Remember to stay safe and remember to breathe. Hi again, it's Raylene. This is my single, Controlling Me, available across all platforms. I hope you enjoy it. You think you can read my heart out